I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, I have to tell you, I had this week planned out, and if you listen on a normal uh, regular basis, you know that last week I said this week we'd be talking with Devin Rose. He's an author, writ, uh, written a couple of books, got a brand new app out as well. We're going to be talking with him next week because life happened. Um, or rather, in, in this case, death happened. Uh, we had just a horrible tragedy in our nation this last week. And of course, it happened before last week's show aired. But as you know, as we're uh, kind of bouncing around in our transition period, we're doing the shows a little bit early just for this season, um, just to help us with our, our packing and our moving and so forth. We are, uh, in fact, as as we speak right now, as you're listening to this, uh, I am in a 26-foot Penske truck driving down I-65 through the beautiful hills of Kentucky, uh, getting ready to settle down in our new location. So things are just about to get back to normal. Uh, but uh, we had tragedy in our nation. And I really felt like I I couldn't uh, let this opportunity go. So I needed to take some time and talk with you uh, about some things I'm thinking, uh, about some frustrations that I have with the level of dialogue in our nation. Uh it's anytime we see something like this, the hashtags come out, right? Hashtag activism. And uh, you've got Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, and many more hashtags that we begin furiously banging out on our keyboards on social media and, and elsewhere. And of course, the memes and the articles fly from both directions. Uh, and it seems that everyone is entrenched in their opinion and their position. Uh, something that I have been attempting to do in my own life uh, over the last, probably just really the last two or three years, is really to engage with uh, with articles that come from sources that I disagree with. Right? I want to know what the uh, the opinion of the the far right and the far left is, and I want to know if there's some nuance there in the middle that maybe uh, will help inform my own opinion. Uh, because I've noticed, and I'm going to post this. There's this great um, YouTube video uh, called "This is This Video Is Going to Make You Angry," and it talks about how we get into these uh, these echo chambers of both on the right and the left of just reading those people with whom we disagree who use a certain uh, incendiary buzzword that's going to get us all riled up so that we can all be mad together at everyone who's not like us. And really, there's no interaction between those two camps who are continually mad at one another. Uh, and so I'm going to post that on my social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Uh, the video is called, This Video is Going to Make You Angry. It's by C.P. Gray. Uh, and so I'm going to post that. I'm going to post a couple of other articles that I have found uh, to be particularly salient, uh, to be maybe give a, uh, an impression that uh, is even keeled. Um, you know, I, I post a lot of these memes, and, and on my personal Facebook, I've posted a lot of these memes and made a lot of my friends who I've known for years really angry at me uh, because 
it doesn't fit the narrative of the community in which I grew up, right? So if I post something uh, about Black Lives Matter, all of a sudden that must mean uh, that I uh, I'm angry at the police and I want to do away with them, and um, and that's not the case at all. Uh, I think that we can look at a problem in our nation, like we have had in this last week, week and a half, uh, where we had in the span of uh, a few days, uh, we had several unarmed men who were shot. Um, now, it, it remains to be seen whether they were uh, shot justly or not, right? Uh, whether there was a legitimate, uh, the, the option for legitimate defense or not, according to the catechism, according to moral theology. Uh, we don't know that yet. But what we do know is that um, there is a great amount of grief in the African-American community, that there is a, a sense of uncertainty uh, as to whether or not a person is going to have a positive encounter with the police or a negative encounter with the police, uh, and, and the question as to whether or not there are some police out there, not ubiquitous, but some police out there who, uh, who cause this concern because maybe they, maybe they themselves are frightened, maybe they themselves are... Uh, you know, the mutual fear of the community and the police toward one another uh, may cause uh, these situations to get bigger than they otherwise would be. I don't have the answers, but I can look uh, at a number of the things that I've posted at conversations that I've had with my own friends uh, who have lived it out and experienced that uncertainty and that fear. And I can point to it and say, there's something we need to have a conversation about. We need to address this not from a polemic kind of standpoint, not just simply trying to uh, dig into our, our position and lob bombs at everyone else. And, and I've frankly been very disheartened this week by the level of uh, viciousness in this conversation. Uh, as soon as you say anything, no matter what side you're on, as soon as you say anything, the tensions are so high that immediately we begin distrusting the other person and we categorize them. And it's like all of a sudden, if you say three words, I know exactly where you stand on all these other issues and how dare you think that. Well, that's not conversation uh, at all. Uh, if all we do is lob uh, charged, biased statistics back at one another, uh, and, and don't ever sit down and say, the people who we're talking about here are real people. They are, are people with hopes and desires and mistakes all the way around. Uh, but they're real people. If we can't start there, then we're never going to end up in a good place. In fact, when the, when the teachers of the law came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so we have to start. Everything, he says, the whole law and the prophets hang on those two. Our whole law, our whole picture of life should stem from our love for God and our love for people, including people we don't agree with, including people that we're maybe a little frustrated with. Uh, and, and I think that we're missing that. Uh, I think that we have so far retreated into our political narrative in, in this United States of America that we can no longer sit down and allow for nuance. We have become so divided in our opinions and have only given two options. Uh, 
or there's either this side or that side, right? These false choices uh, where there's a whole range of opinions between those two. Uh, And in some cases, the two choices are not mutually exclusive. For instance, black lives matter, blue lives matter. You know what? It's true. All lives matter. That's true as well. I I was having this conversation uh, that all lives matter is is a positive statement of our faith, of our belief in the Catholic Church that all life from natural conception to natural death is uh, valuable, that it is, uh, in, that it's imbued with intrinsic dignity based on the fact that it's made in the image of God. And so that is true. It's a positive statement of all lives matter to God. But when Christ talked about these things, he talked about the specifics the Samaritan woman, the good Samaritan, uh, that story of the Samaritan helping out his neighbor and, and talk, calling a Samaritan a neighbor, the preferential option for the poor, uh, caring for the, the widow and the oppressed. Jesus pointed out very specific people, not because all lives didn't matter, but because there was a specific injustice being done that was falling short of the ideal. Yes, All lives matter. That's the ideal, and we proclaim that every day. And when we see something fall short of the ideal, we point to it. Uh, Someone mentioned it this way. It's not that only black lives matter. It's that black lives matter too, right? We have to realize that there's a whole community of people, and sometimes it may be based on region, where they may not experience it in one state, but they would in another, or maybe not in one city of the same state, but another, And we have to realize that there are people out there whose experience is one of fear, is one of oppression. And we can say, oh, well, you're not being oppressed. But until we've walked in their shoes, are we really able to say that? I've got very, very good friends um, who, who have lived this experience solely because of the color of their skin and the place they happen to live, right? Uh, walking down the street, completely unarmed, not doing anything wrong, and to find a, a weapon in their face uh, because there is distrust, mutual distrust in these communities between the police and civilians. And that has to change. Now, how does it change? That's why we have to have a conversation. As some people have said, you can't have an opinion about these matters until you have a solution to these matters. But that's just foolish uh, because, frankly, you can't begin to formulate a solution until you've accurately figured out the problem. And so we need to have this discussion about what the problem is. And there is a problem. Uh, and so we were going to talk with Devin Rose this week. We're going to put that off till next week. I'm going to talk with my good friend, Charles Beard. He's a diaconate candidate for the Diocese of Tulsa. He is also uh, a member of the Catholic Worker Community. St. Zeta Catholic Worker Community in Green Country, Northeast Oklahoma. He's going to talk to us about his impressions of this whole tragedy. Why don't you go over to my social media, look up some of those articles, maybe comment on them. I want to know what you think. Uh, Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
Thanks for sticking with me through the break. Well, I had it all worked out, all figured out. We were going to talk with Devin Rose today about a brand new app that he's got to help people pray novenas called Pray. We were going to talk about his new book, uh, Navigating the Tiber, which helps uh, folks who have converted to the Catholic Church. Uh, or, or even folks who haven't, to help their families understand a little bit more about what we believe as Catholics. But then life happened, and, and violence broke out, and I think that it's something worth our time to talk about. Uh, and so instead, we're going to do that interview with Devin next week. And today we're talking with a friend of mine, Charles Beard. Uh, he's a diaconate candidate for the Diocese of Tulsa and a member of the St. Zeta Catholic Worker Community in Green Country, which is a corner of northeast Oklahoma. Uh, and Charles, earlier in the week, you wrote this this really fad, fascinating post on the Benedict Option, uh, and I wanted to talk to you about it and, and even told you so, but we had to postpone that because of what broke out. Now, that post, uh, we're going to put it up on social media, but you wrote it for ChristianDemocracyMagazine.com about the Benedict Option, this idea of uh, that Rod Dreher of the New York Times talks about quite a bit, of uh, retreating to a certain extent into Christian communities to support one another, etc. And you went to this, this uh, seminar uh, out at Clear Creek Monastery in Holbert, Oklahoma, uh, where he spoke, and you had this great post, and I'm thinking, you know, this is a really good post, and it's timely. I want to talk to you about it. So I gave you a call and said, hey, why don't you come uh, on the show, and we can talk about the Benedict Option and your impression of it. Uh, and and all was set, and all was good, and then the world devolved into hashtags, uh, as, as happens frequently when some disaster befalls us, whether it's a terrorist attack, whether it's a police shooting, whatever the case is, Twitter fills up with hashtags and we dig into our foxholes. We don't really have foxholes anymore. Instead, we have hashtags that we dig ourselves into. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit because specifically with your connection with the Catholic worker community, you are poised to be interacting with these communities quite a bit more and see maybe a broader picture than the rest of us see. So talk to me a little bit about your first impressions as, uh, as the news came across that there had been not only uh, a police shooting, but two in two days, uh, and then followed up by a shooting of police uh, the third day. And then the fourth day, there was an, uh, it's just ongoing. So talk to me a little bit about uh, your impressions as it rolled around this time. Uh, my first impression was like a punch in the gut, uh, but the punch in the gut also said, oh, not again. This, uh, continues to happen and it's been happening, it seems, uh, more and more frequently. Uh, I was speaking with someone in Tulsa, uh, yesterday who's, uh, part of the, he helps organize the Martin Luther King Day Parade each year. Um, and, uh, and he said that he's, you know, maybe things like this have been going on all the time, but it's just so much easier to document now right. uh, than it once than it once was. I mean, um, whether we're talking about the shooting in uh, Baton Rouge or Minneapolis or Dallas, uh, in all the cases, or nearly all, all the cases, it was caught live on video. Um, I think in one case, it was uh, they, uh, a woman whose boyfriend was shot was. Uh, posting it to Facebook as it was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's probably the 
most frustrating thing about the modern world is that we may not be more evil. And in fact, in some ways, maybe things are quite a bit better than they used to be, but it's so much easier to see the evil because our communication tools are so good. Yeah. And it kind of can form a cloud of, uh, well, despair, if you let it. And so that, those are my initial impressions. It's real easy just to... Um, just to shake your head at disgust and not want to do much more than hashtag activism. Well, you know, I think that that's really a big portion of it is because it is such an overwhelming problem. Uh, not necessarily that it that it is uh, to the level of of genocide or things that we see in other countries. Uh, and so some people say, oh, well, it's not that bad because it's not so ubiquitous. Uh, and other people, they they see the problem. They see that it's an that they never know one day to the next what's going to happen. And I think that people are so overwhelmed by it that rather than enter into dialogue, they, they dig into the hashtags and, you know, the people on the, uh, all lives matter side, uh, hashtag all lives matter. They are absolutely positive that they know exactly what the black lives matter people mean by that statement and vice versa. And so we end up just kind of passing one another in our uh, frustration and our anger and m- maybe even a little bit in our fear, uh, and we don't actually connect on what the true issues are. Well, that's absolutely the case. So the question is, how do we correct that? What do we do to begin to uh, listen to the broader discussion rather than retreating into our safely defined uh, battlegrounds? Uh, Perhaps the first step is to realize that we are, in fact, retreating into our respective battlegrounds. Uh, I think this may be uh, particularly an issue on the All Lives Matter side. The folks who who participate in Black Lives Matter uh, seem to be much more willing to say that they are part of a movement or part of a tribe, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, but just kind of, you know, all lives matter sounds like a very universal statement, and therefore it's easy to kind of think that um, you're not retreating into um, into your own tribe. Well, I, had, um, I had this conversation with someone on Facebook recently, is that all lives matter is not just a... Uh, uh, a general statement, but it's actually a positive statement of our doctrine uh, of the the principle that all lives okay. matter. From from natural conception to natural death, we we see the value uh, and the dignity of the human person. I think where the all lives matter people uh, get a little bit maybe misunderstanding is that they perceive that the Black Lives Matter movement is. Uh, an attempt to say only black black lives matter or black lives matter more rather than black lives matter too. Right. Uh, you know, as a theological statement, all lives matter is, uh, is unassailably true. Uh, there's, there's no way the gospel can be true and all lives not matter, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, and so if you were to, to say all lives matter, um, and only stop at kind of the theological implications of that. Uh, I don't think that that anyone could possibly see anything wrong with it. And in fact, I think some of the criticism of the Black Lives Matter as a hashtag or as a as a statement, you know, are, are perfectly valid if you're only thinking about the theological implications. But you know, our theology is is incarnate, um, you know, 
primarily and uh, principally in Jesus of Nazareth, but also in the implications that our theology has on our day-to-day life. Um, and when you live in a world where, um, to a lot of people, black lives do matter less, uh, it's important to say, yes, all lives do matter, especially at this moment, the people who are uh, looked down upon or, uh, or more prone to violent encounters. Uh, when they are unarmed, etc. In this case, that seems to be black lives. Um, I should also include blue lives matter because, as we saw in Dallas right. just this past weekend, uh, retaliation against cops uh, is obviously extraordinarily unwarranted. And so, I'm very heartened to see uh, some of the hashtag activists are saying black lives matter and blue lives matter. Um, it looks it looked a little bit for a minute like those two kind of groups would separate from one another, but I'm glad to see that, that is not. That does not appear to be happening. Right. You know, and, and I think that's something that we need to be very conscious about. You know, I've been posting a lot of uh, conversation starters, as I like to call them. Uh, other people would call oh. them uh, antagonisms uh, towards uh, <laughs> using Black Lives Matter to try and, and create some conversation around uh, are we in our nation uh, creating a system or, or accepting a system at the very least uh, that that is disproportionately violent to one uh, specific people group. And so I've been posting that a little bit. And I have to be careful uh, because I am not at all in any way, shape, or form uh, against the police. You know, I'm not against the, the military. I've got very, very strong support of those communities. Uh, and, and I do realize that it's not everyone in those communities that is acting in this way. Uh, and so... There's a sense of being able to point to a problem, right? Much like uh, the the Catholic Church has attempted to do with the the clergy abuse scandal that came on. If we had just completely ignored that and continued on as normal, that would have been a problem, right? But as it is, we've that's that's what what caused it to become a problem in some way. But that's what did happen, right? And so once it was brought to light, uh, now the bishops, the the Catholic Church around the world has begun to put in, and really for the last 20 years, has put in exceptionally stringent requirements uh, for parishes, for volunteers, for everything else. And so, yes, there are bad apples out there. And yet we still have to make some systemic changes uh, that create a safe environment for everyone. That's my two cents. Yes, that's that's the case. Um, I I am not by any means uh, an expert on law enforcement or race relations, and so I hesitate to speak in too much detail on that except to agree with the broad strokes of what you say. And honestly, as I'm looking at it, it really is about at least acknowledging the broad strokes and being aware that there is something to be addressed. We'll talk about this a little bit more when we come back from this break. We're talking about hashtag activism versus dialogue. Uh, with Charles Beard. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls. (music) 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I really am kind of surprised you're still here. <laughs> oh, you know, I always, I never intended for this show to be a current event show. And for the most part, I'm going to try for it not to be. I never intended for this show to ever get into really controversial things. And yet we taught, we say at the beginning uh, that we're exploring the foundations of our faith and the implications of our faith. And our faith has some very strong implications for how we interact with uh, with these pressing topics of uh, violence in our community, right? Uh, of violence from our police and toward our police uh, as something less than... Uh, what is to be desired, right? We have uh, uh, something higher to strive for. And as the people of God, we're called to be ambassadors of God's kingdom to the world around us. And so even though sometimes it may seem like we can't do anything about it, we still have the responsibility to be representatives of God's kingdom to the world around us. You know, there's this, um, Charles, there's this C.S. Lewis, no, 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 I'm very sorry, a, a J.R.R. Tolkien quote, which they're basically twins, uh, in my mind. And, and J.R.R. Tolkien said, I am a Christian, in fact, a Catholic. And so I, uh, something along the lines of, I, I don't perceive history to be anything other than a long defeat with glimpses of final victory. And, and I've kind of been living that quote for the last, uh, last couple of weeks, uh, just in society, and specifically this last week with all of uh, all of the violence that we've seen break out uh, across the United States. And really, I don't know if it's breaking out or if it's just being brought to light, as you said earlier. Uh, I wanted to talk to you some about uh, our responsibility as a people of mercy to to listen and to dialogue with people who whether they are or not perceived to be oppressed. Let's talk about that for a moment. I, I think if, if you are going to engage in a dialogue with, uh, with any, any other group, but let's kind of leave, leaving aside the, the question of oppression, um, any out group, group other than your own, mm-hmm. um, who may or may not have a beef with your group, the first thing that is necessary, I think, is to examine your own conscience. Um, so I was thinking about that because I knew that we were going to be talking uh, about about these these, these uh, incidents of violence, and I realized I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or right outside Tulsa. I have the Confession Times memorized at most of the Catholic churches in the Tulsa area. I can kind of say, okay, it starts at three thirty on Saturday here. This place has Wednesdays at seven, and so forth. It occurred to me yesterday that all of those churches that I have memorized are predominantly white churches. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what the confession times are at predominantly black churches in my town. And I don't know what they are at predominantly Hispanic churches in my town. Um, I, you know, it's very possible that I am, that I am alone in this, but that's something that I had to ask myself. Is there, is there some sort of, uh, Bias. Bias is probably the best word because it's a little bit more neutral than prejudice. So certainly not. I'm not referring to conscious prejudice. Right. Um, but is there? Are there unconscious biases in my own life that might be preventing me from engaging um, the other? Whether that's if you're on the side, if that's you know, the black community, or you know, in some cases, the police community, and so forth. 
What yeah. is preventing me from doing that with an open mind? Uh, before you start the dialogue, I think that's a question you have to ask yourself. Because that provides a, a, a base point from which to launch uh, your dialogue. You know, and I think that, that to some extent, there, there definitely is that bias. I don't know if it's so much about the parish as much as it is those aren't parts of town we generally go into. Maybe it's because we don't have a specific uh, thing that we need to buy there or we don't, I mean, it's not necessarily, oh gosh, that's the scary part of town. As much as it is, we just tend to live in our own little community and don't always enter into vulnerability with others. And that becomes problematic when you then want to opine about that community and what they should be doing. Um, you know, maybe you're right, but you know, are we really the best persons to be talking about that? And, and, you know, we talk about, uh, police experience, right? Well, my experience uh, with anything police with, uh, you know, I mean, we talk about this when we do marriage prep, even our experience of how we cook dinner is going to be affected by our family of origin and by our community. And if we're not able to... You know, I I hear people all the time say, well, just don't resist and things won't happen to you badly, except that that's our experience. And there are other people who have experienced the opposite. And so we have to realize that not every experience specifically with uh, different communities, with different police stations, with different police officers, it's not going to be a, a ubiquitous experience. Right. Um. I will say that one time I was driving with my wife uh, on the Indian Nation Turnpike in southeast Oklahoma, and um, and we got pulled over. And um, the the highway patrolman who pulled us over uh, thought that I wasn't where that I wasn't uh, driving with corrected. I have I wear glasses, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time I was wearing contacts, and so uh, the patrolman asked why I wasn't wearing my glasses, and I said, "Well, I'm wearing my contacts." And he uh, basically said, are you sure you're wearing your contacts? And so I pulled a contact out of my eye and said, yes, I am wearing a contact, see? And kind of grabbed him out until he went away. Um, that probably was not the best thing for me to do at that moment. <laughs> but it's important that from my experience, I feel the freedom to that if someone is kind of pushing up against me, I can push back mm-hmm. and not fear for my life. Um, that is not a, a universal experience. And it's unfortunate that, you know, the vast majority of police officers would never, ever take a situation as silly as that and escalate to, to God forbid, what it might be. Um, but it's important for people to know that there is a community of people who do feel that way because of a negative experience. Well, and I think something that's very important for us to understand is that uh, it's not even so much that these things occur. I mean, that is horrific in and of itself, but we can all look at that and say, this is a horrific thing. Uh, I think the problem that we see is when we have those kind of actions occur, and then we try to find the reason to justify the force rather than to call out the injustice. Oh, well, they must have had a good reason for it. So then we start combing through uh, through police records. Uh, as someone said, even Martha Stewart has a police record, right? Uh, you know, we comb through all these other things, and then we say, oh, well, maybe they, they had a weapon, or they were threatening, or they were, uh, 
you know, a couple of the things that happened. One of the guys was a concealed permit carry. The other guy uh, was in an open carry state. And yet, uh, if it had been anyone other than the person who was shot by the police, regardless of color, I think, uh, it would be, oh, well, that person has a right to that gun. But as soon as wow. that person is the victim, all of a sudden it's like, well, oh, well, they had a gun. That's the reason they got shot. So in that is where I see our biases. And so I think the community, the black community, is is so frustrated with this, not because these events happen on a very, seems to be a fairly rare basis, although we see it, I mean, we see it often enough, but when you're talking about a country as large as ours, I think the problem is that when they occur, most of the time the police officer is uh, released and said, well, they ha- it was a justified shooting. And the question that I have that frustrates me so much is, is the thing that they did a capital offense? And was there any other option that was not lethal that they could have taken but chose not to? Uh, and I think that we have to say, if we truly believe that life, all life matters, then that life matters, that specific life matters. And if anything could have been done morally and, and justifiably to protect that life, it should have been done. Absolutely. Uh, and on that note, I'm, I'm pretty heartened by uh, some of the things that we've seen in Oklahoma over the last couple of days um, that the police are doing. I'm, I'm referring specifically to the Oklahoma City Police to, uh, to build up trust uh, where trust may be lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's, paid, it's paid dividends, I think. There was a Black Lives Matter protest in Oklahoma City, I believe it was this past Sunday, uh, that would be the 9th of July. Um, and uh, the police showed up. The, you know, they, they showed up in their regular uniforms, not in riot gear, not in anything else, and, um, and were very supportive of the march. Um, mm-hmm. And so they were, you know, uh, protesters and police officers were hugging each other because there were two groups in mourning. Right. Um, and it was very good to see kind of the commonality uh, at the heart uh, that we see at the heart of grief. Well, I think that that's a key point right there is to recognize uh, all of the, you know, people say, well, it's not a peaceful march. And I'm like, well, it's not a quiet march, but grief is not quiet. And we don't get to determine uh, the way that another person grieves. And if we would just recognize the grief in that community and really the sometimes the uncertainty uh, and fear that comes from that, I think we would be in a better place to begin that dialogue. Absolutely. Well, we've been talking with Charles Beard. He's a member of the St. Zeta Catholic Worker Community there in Green Country in the northeastern corner of Oklahoma. He's also a diaconate candidate for the Diocese of Tulsa. And a good friend of mine, we've been talking about hashtag activism versus dialogue and what's required of us through our faith. Uh, You can find out more about the St. Zeta Catholic Worker Community on Facebook. I'll put a link to it up on our Facebook over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls that's also our instagram at step outside the walls on twitter you can find us at at outside the walls and uh continue this conversation i'm sure you've got something to say i'm sure you've got an opinion about the black lives matter versus uh everyone else Uh, let me know what you think we'll be right back after this you're listening to outside the walls with timothy putman
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. You know, here's the thing about being a Catholic. You are guaranteed uh, to to be a, a foreigner in a strange land, right? We are sojourners through this land. We have a citizenship in heaven. Uh, we are members of the kingdom of God, and we have the obligation to be ambassadors for that kingdom, uh, to to represent to the, the this current land that we're in uh, those things that are in the best interest of our homeland. Uh, and that's a difficult thing to do because we have been uh, thrust into these false choices, this dichotomy of Republican versus Democrat, of conservative versus progressive, when the truth is that neither one of those parties represents the, the fullness of morality, the fullness of faith. And so we always have to make a difficult choice come election time uh, because there is no home for the Catholic Church in the political parties. We, we prioritize certain things. Some people prioritize uh, the, the poor and the oppressed. Other people prioritize the unborn. Uh, and yet, no matter what we do, we have to make a choice that in some small way betrays a part of our faith uh, because there is no party that fully holds the faith. Uh, and that was something I had to come to, to come to the realization of. Uh, it was a very difficult process for me because I was raised in a very staunchly conservative household, uh, very politically involved. And then to become a Catholic and to let that begin washing over me and begin to understand that there were some things that the Catholic Church says in terms of the rights of the poor and the immigrant and so forth and so on that did not agree with my upbringing. And so now, now it's a very difficult process for me to go to the election booth. Um, and I bring that up not for any reason other than to say sometimes we have to be a little centrist. Sometimes we have to realize that the Catholic Church is a both-and kind of a place and not an either-or. And to resist the, um, the, the prodding of our culture, to take a hard stand for one side or the other and realize that some things are are difficult and nuanced and not as clear-cut as uh, the media and uh, well, the blogs would have us believe. So I, I do want to spend some time today in Scripture and in a teaching of the Church Fathers. Uh, you know, normally I do a reading from this week, from the day, from Saturday, but because we've been talking about this thing that happened last week, I was struck by the fact that the gospel for Sunday, this last Sunday, immediately after everything happened, was the, uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. We're going to read over that again, and I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the person asking the question, because uh, there is a sense that this person is trying to get away with a little bit. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we try to put God in that box to try to get away with some things uh, to justify our own actions and belief when God is really calling us to a, to a conversion, a continual conversion, the renewing of our mind uh, so that we can grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. Before we get started, there's a prayer uh, that I love that I, I, you know, we haven't done this in a while on the show, but I, I'm going to open with this little prayer. And this is a meditation for us, specifically when we're engaging these difficult topics, because it puts us in the place of inviting the Holy Spirit to reveal to us something that goes against our own understanding. And 
I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit is allowed to teach us something that goes against our understanding. So let's pray together. And it's a prayer that you may have heard. Uh, I'll put it up on social media just in case you haven't. And it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy your consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This comes from the Gospel of Luke, where we read, There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test him and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He said in reply, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. He replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, but when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. Likewise, a Levite came to that place, and when he saw him, he passed on the opposite side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn, and cared for him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with the instructions, Take care of him, and if you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was the neighbor to the robber's victim? He answered, The one who treated him with mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Today's reading from Church History is from a sermon by St. Caesarius of Arles. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. My brothers and sisters, sweet is the thought of mercy, but even more so is mercy itself. It is what all men hope for, but unfortunately, not what all men deserve. For while all men wish to receive it, only a few are willing to give it. How can a man ask for himself what he refuses to give to another? If he expects to receive any mercy in heaven, he should give mercy on earth. Do we all desire to receive mercy? Let us make mercy our patroness now, and she will free us in the world to come. Yes, there is mercy in heaven, but the road to it is paved by our merciful acts on earth. As Scripture says, Lord, your mercy is in heaven. Therefore, There is, therefore, an earthly as well as a heavenly mercy, that is to say, a human and a divine mercy. Human mercy has compassion on the miseries of the poor. Divine mercy grants forgiveness for sins. Whatever human mercy bestows here on earth, divine mercy will return to us in our homeland. In this life, God feels cold and hunger in all who are stricken with poverty. For remember, he once said, What you have done to the least of my brethren, you've done to me. Yes, 
God, who sees fit to give his mercies in heaven, wishes it to be a reality here on earth. What kind of people are we? When God gives, we wish to receive, but when he begs, we refuse to give. Remember, it was Christ who said, I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. When the poor are starving, Christ too hungers. Do not neglect to improve the unhappy conditions of the poor if you wish to ensure that your own sins will be forgiven you. Christ hungers now, my brethren. It is he who deigns to hunger and thirst in persons of the poor. And what will he return in heaven tomorrow is what he receives here on earth today. What do you wish for? What do you pray for, my dear brothers and sisters, when you come to church? Is it mercy? How can it be anything else? Show mercy, then, while you are on earth, and mercy will be shown to you in heaven. A poor person asks you for something, you ask God for something. He begs for a morsel of food, you beg for eternal life. Give to the beggar so that you may merit to receive from Christ. For he it is who says, give and it will be given to you. It baffles me that you have the impudence to ask for what you do not want to give. Give when you come to church. Give to the poor. Give them whatever your resources will allow. That reading, again, comes from uh, St. Caesarius of Arles. Now, what do we hope? What do we hope for? Are we willing to give mercy to the poor? Now, it may be easy when you think about it in terms of charitable giving. Are you willing to give mercy in terms of sitting with the grieving? In terms of sitting with the person, maybe we don't understand their grief, but they're in the midst of fear. Maybe they're in the midst of oppression. Maybe they're in the midst of deep confusion and sadness. Are you willing to give mercy rather than to retreat behind your hashtag, to retreat behind your political opinion, and throw stones at them for daring to disagree? It's a challenge, but it's one that our own salvation may hinge upon. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. It's a a difficult call. It's a difficult call to realize that maybe we have biases we're not aware of. And to sit down, maybe with someone who you disagree with, and say, rather than telling me your opinion, tell me your feelings. How has this affected you? How has this whole thing affected your heart and your spirit? It's through these conversations over and above our hashtags, over and above our talking points, that's going to bring ultimate reconciliation and ultimate healing. And I urge you, my friends, to do just that this week. Now, if you've listened all the way through this show, really, you've got to go to social media because we have to have a conversation about this over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. I really do want to know what you think. That's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're talking with Devin Rose about his new app and his new book. It's one you're not going to want to miss. Outside the Walls is a co-production of Breadbox Media and St. Michael Catholic Radio, heard around the world on live streaming, terrestrial radio, and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.